in this the closing talk of the uh, weekend together I would like to speak about some uh, features of the daily life and particularly in this talk on the, the theme of healing the earth and in the opening talk I <coughs> refer to our relationship to the world and mentioned too, and particularly yesterday evening that it's as though we have been we are being asked to have a broader vision of our relationship to life more is being called upon from us and that perhaps there might have been a time in history when our primary concerns was, was with the immediate events around us, those that we are associated with and the ways and means that we can contribute to the insight, the, the wisdom, the enlightenment of others as well as, as well as ourselves. And for those of you who are familiar with the old religious uh, texts, we'll have read of the various dialogues, uh, talks, uh, question and answer periods which took place centuries and centuries ago dealing with the fact of human existence, the problems of human existence and the resolution of them. And certainly in the Buddhist tradition the heart of the teachings have consistently are focused on the what is referred to as the four noble truths the four major truths of existence that there is a suffering or unsatisfactoriness in this world that there are the conditions which contribute to suffering there is the cessation of it and there are the ways and means that contribute to its cessation and these four noble truths, four major truths of life have been within the tradition, within all the religiosity that surrounds the tradition as well has been a central uh, feature, the, the hub of the teachings we might say. But what we also recognize as well is that these teachings of the Four Noble Truths need to find a kind of contemporary translation which are not only concerned with, as it were, the personal freedom and enlightenment and liberation of a human being but need to be very much translated into political terms, economic terms, social terms, environmental terms, into the very biosphere itself. And quite often what we've not noticed both with ourselves and our perceptions, the way we communicate, the way we talk and relate, we're constantly speaking in terms of the more language. I want more of this. I need 
more of that. We should have whatever it might be. And the pursuit, if not the preoccupation with more, with the pursuit and the gathering, can be at the expense, and frequently is, of looking at life, as it were, through the, uh, the perception, the vision of these noble truths of life. And one of the prices which we pay is that quite often we are so much spellbound by the more mind that we actually pay the price in terms of joy. Joy is that which comes to us as a gift in terms of delight, in terms of the opportunity to celebrate, to share, to offer, to give. So awareness and investigation is a day-to-day -day exploration and examination of our way of being in the world. And that there isn't the neglect of the Four Noble Truths. So what does that mean in uh, practical uh, levels? The teaching, the Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, Sanskrit word meaning teachings concerned with liberation, has as its, in a way, support and codependent factor the endorsement and a very strong recommendation for contact with like-minded people. How valuable this is, how necessary this is. Just recently, to take an example, I was in Thailand and I was visiting monasteries there and seeing my uh, venerable and very old uh, teachers and while there I met a very dear friend of mine who had been a monk for several years and lived in the forest in south, southern Thailand, had, like myself, uh, disrobed, went back into uh, lay life, became an architect, uh, got married, has a couple of uh, lovely children. And what he said to me was that after this period in the forest monastery, that he went back into the day-to-day -day life, and for a year or two, the situations of day-to-day -day life didn't gr grab him. He could see, could sense that emancipation, that uh, freedom in day-to-day -day life, and the issues of becoming a husband, the issues of parenting, of study, work, income, he regarded it as belonging to the, the play of life, the freedom, the uh, dance of life. And the word he used, he said, it, it was, he could see that much of it really is theatre, human theatre going on. Gradually, as the time went by, it became less theatrical and issues became more substantial, more real and he noticed 
dramas in his life began to increase, which weren't present in the first year or two after living the monk's life. So we talked and discussed about this. And then he said, he realized that the mistake which he made was that he thought that his freedom and his wisdom would safeguard him and protect him from uh, suffering. And he neglected contact with like-minded people. Though his wife, of course, great friend and great supporter, but generally speaking, he said, he just moved in the, the world of people whose values were markedly different from his own. And gradually, he began to get sucked into, swept into those values. And he lost something. Something precious which he couldn't describe, couldn't name, couldn't label in any way, but he lost it. And the signal of that, the indicator of that was giving substance where there wasn't substance and uh, unhappiness, anxiety about the future, such things. So this contact he was emphasizing how valuable it was for him when he realized this neglect of touch and contact with like-minded people, how much renewal has come for him and his whole family and his life through that. And similarly, there are people who sometimes come to retreats once, twice. Sometimes people tell me, oh, Christopher, I haven't seen you since 10 years or 12 years or 15 years or whatever. And sometimes there has been the neglect of this renewal that comes when human beings are willing to spend time together uh, regularly to look into the things of life, to rediscover the sense of human being. So therefore I would say, for any concerned awareness and action in the world, how much time are we making in our life for that contact with like-minded people as an indispensable and inseparable feature of wise existence? And there are many forms and ways that that can and does occur. One of them is, of course, in terms of the weekend we've had here together. But it has to be much more extensive, much more uh, uh, regular. Some people make that happen and enable that to happen through having events take place in their homes. Have friends come round not necessarily to cross the legs and watch the breath, but to spend some time sharing and looking into things together. And certainly groups which form, which just have people sitting cross-legged and drinking herbal tea won't last very long. The herbal tea is frequently boring and the cross-legged is wandering mind all the time. So it has to have a little bit more inquiry than that. So some sharing where people are sharing, not theoretically, but their actual experience, the way of relating to life, the issues which are being faced. And there's a great deal of wisdom between human beings when human beings are, are willing to 
make some time to be together and talk very uh, directly about their experience. Therefore, not in the abstract, not in the theoretical. That applies to any activity, any field of work. Another feature that we see, and we often protest, and I think fairly understandably about, is the increasing movement in life towards a very cerebral existence. And that can happen in any field of work. And living in the uh, age of uh, computer technology, in the age of an increasing degree of sophistication of the mechanized world, spells danger for humanity. Spells danger for humanity insofar as too much cerebral activity, the 40 hours a week of cerebral activity, can be at, immense ex uh, at the expense of the heart, at the expense of the deeper intimacies and feelings of life because of this uh, concentration of mind at the expense of heartfulness and sensitivities of being. And there needs to, to be a lot of exploration in which the whole person and holistic perception is really endorsed. Therefore, heart and head and being and spirituality requires a marriage. Otherwise, the age of technology begins to rule and dominate in all sorts of uh, insidious ways. Sometimes, both here and elsewhere, a person comes to uh, has some uh, insight or reflection which needs to find some form of expression in the day-to-day -day life. And it might be that in the time that you have uh, been here, some fresh ideas have come, some new ideas have come. In a way, the yardstick of an insight is that it makes a difference. There is no shortage, I am sure, of the proliferation of good ideas in the world. And many a human being has a, a good idea to do something or to change something in some way or other. But when we're speaking of insight, insight meditation, insight into things, it's the signal of it being an insight is that it makes a difference. If it doesn't make a difference, then it's not an insight. It's just another in the range of good ideas that we have. And as we heard this morning, that sometimes uh, an insight occurs and that person is willing and has that quiet determination and continuity to continue following that insight through, such as changing a, a dump to uh, uh, parkland, or whatever the expression might be. That, that following of that through shows that insight really does have some authority to it. And it's no easy task in life to have that quiet and sustainable capacity to follow an insight through and to keep it there because one trusts 
in the original spirit of the insight and trust in the intentions which follow on from that insight and keep that insight really alive and uh, active in this world. And you need rather to be rather clear to know the difference between, the, between good ideas and insights. In the day-to-day -day life, in making the transition, of course, from being at home uh, here to going home, sometimes the insights which arise are not so much about one's own existence, but sometimes, unfortunately, about others. And one returns home full of insights about where other people are at and the quite determination to dump the insights on the other person. They, of course, may not be ready for it, particularly one's children and parents and partner. And going uh, home is not so much what we say and exposing how clever we have become about the problems of the world over a 48-hour period, but much more our way of being in the world and the contribution that we make to understanding. And there are, unfortunately, rather a lot of uh, missionaries around, various religious missionaries, and we have green missionaries as well these days, and they are terribly green. And we want to contribute to an active way of being in the world which contributes to understanding, not to proselytizing, not to using the force of the power of ideology. It doesn't work very well at all. And therefore, what we say every day of our life requires as much care and as much awareness as what we observe when we sit on the meditation cushion. What we say in this world makes a great deal of difference to the nature of this world. And sometimes in our conversations with others where we can hear the voice of selfishness, we hear the voice of greed, of confusion, of jealousy, of envy, of rage, of anxiety, whatever. How often and how very easily for the sake of wanting to appear nice we'll justify it for the person. We'll say to the person, oh yes, I can really, I just feel like that too, I can really understand how you feel. And we just contribute to the aggression in the world, to the greed, to the violence, to the uh, anxieties in the world. And sometimes when we hear that, and instead of just going along with it and say, oh, I know just how it feels, I always feel the same thing as well, saying, well, does it have to be this way? Does one have to look at a situation in this way? And to be really willing to ask the questions, not just tag along with views which are so damaging either for the person or for others or for the environment. I think we need to be honest and check in with each other 
And as the Buddha very wisely commented on this, he once said, a good friend is not a person who flatters us, but is a person who is willing to be honest. This is a friend. So, the contact with like-minded people in different ways is an important contribution. The manifestation, which is an insight into the, our own life and the life of others, is a very important contribution. To find time in our day-to-day -day life to check in at the deeper levels of our being. In other words, is heartfulness in life gaining as much expression in our life as our cerebral activity? Is there a genuine marriage between these two? Or is one, the heartfulness, being neglected for the sake of uh, knowledge, for the sake of the brain? And we certainly we need to use our mind, we certainly need to use our intelligence and our brain but let it be linked with heartfulness. Let it be linked with pure intention. Let it be linked with the deeper concerns of existence. Then there's a holistic vision. One or two other uh, points which I'd uh, like to um, um, mention and with regard to uh, inner life, and one of the important features of that is the attitude of mind and our attitude to circumstances does reveal a great deal, of course, about ourselves. And one significant attitude is that attitude which is willing to learn from situations. And we see in this world that there are situations which arise at the time that they occur, they can be extremely painful. And sometimes it's not until a considerable period later in our life that we've actually realized we have learned something in and through that pain. And at the time, all that we can feel in the midst of pain is the desire, understandably, to get rid of the pain, for the pain to stop. And sometimes we don't realize that the very wish, the will of the mind to stop pain actually reinforces it. We can't sometimes see that we actually work against our own interests. The very desire, the very pressure, the very wanting, the forcing to want this to stop, I want this to go away, I want this to be finished with, that this it itself adds pressure and pressure adds pain. And in our looking, can we find a way to relate to the painful experiences in which it's regarded, and it's not easy, as not as a, a gift, that would be taking it a long way, but as a chance to really learn something about life, to really see it as one of the features of the Four Noble Truths of Life and to see what is the relationship of the other three to that first truth, the conditions, the end, 
and the ways and means that end. And again, insight means that it makes a difference. When people say, oh, I know all the reasons why I am suffering. I know all the reasons why life is suffering, or the environment is suffering. That can be a self-deception. If one knows, it makes a difference. If one doesn't know, one only has ideas. Teachings uh, to transmute consciousness to insight and out of the field of ideas. Knowing makes a difference. Seeing makes a difference. In the day-to-day -day life, of course, there are many areas which we can give particular care and attention to. And that does include our relationship, of course, to the material world and the vehicle to the material world, which is money. And these two can contribute to the immense degree of suffering and pain in life. What way can we look and explore this situation? What way can we give support to each other? So that instead of human beings being isolated from each other, particularly in these areas such as money, which is still a major taboo in our society because the relationship to money isn't actually shared, it isn't actually talked about or discussed. People don't say to each other how much they earn, they don't say how much their rent or mortgage is, don't say how much taxes they pay, where their investments are, if they're privileged to have any, and what the returns are. It's a secret taboo world. And very little openness outside of the closed doors of the individual or his or her family situation. And that puts additional pressure and contributes to additional anxiety. And just as there has been some significant contribution to making, getting rid of some of these other taboos, the sexual one being one of the more uh, noticeable uh, taboos, which is breaking up, that there's much more openness in that. Still, in the area of money situations and the desire for goods, it's hardly touched. And I think the psychotherapists here and elsewhere have a significant contribution to make in helping to untap the taboo about money and the openness and the specifics and the detail of it because money doesn't exist by itself it frequently exists with a lot of charge and if we could dispel some of the charge about money that we have it might benefit the whole earth so in these areas of Exploration and inquiry, as I say, a great deal of wisdom is available, a great deal of insight is available, and a tremendous opportunity for us to really open out our horizons, which means, essentially in spiritual terms, liberating oneself from egotism, living, liberating oneself from selfishness, liberating oneself 
from the productions of self. I think that is a wonderful uh, opportunity for all of us. So let us have four or five minutes of some loving-kindness meditation together, shall we please? Just sitting, being here together, sharing this moment together. And during the time we've been here together, We've been sharing the silence together. Human beings giving support to each other, listening to each other, listening to ourselves in a very free and supportive atmosphere. And we know since the inception and conception of IMS, Many, many thousands and thousands of people have been to the center, have sat in the spot where you are seated, to the, seated today, and have contributed to looking deeply into this extraordinary event called existence. And as we sit here together sharing the moment, the here and now, with a heart and mind which is free from resentment and hostility, free from negative feelings or aggression. So any hostility that we may have harbored in our time here, let it all just fade away. Each one of us giving support to each other, both right here and now, and to everybody in this room, everybody in the centre, and to our friends and our family and our colleagues, wherever they may be. Real heartfulness. Seeing the, the power and the presence of heartful way of living.
I mentioned in the talk, and like to, I mentioned about a visit to Thailand, and I'd just like to mention to you in this loving kindness meditation about a friend of mine. Her name is Meichi Patomwan, and Patomwan took ordination as a Thai Buddhist nun when she was 12 years of age, and I've had the privilege of knowing her for some 22 years now. And last month I went to visit her, and she has been living in the same monastery for 31 years. She is regarded very deeply, very, very highly amongst everybody that knows her. The nuns, when they go to talk with her, drop on their knees to talk with her. She is, she is a living saint. And when I spoke with her in February through the translator, I had spent three years in the same monastery uh, as she in the uh, early 1970s. She told me that her very best friend in the monastery had been with her for 30 years, um, had died last year from heart disease. And I asked her how she was coping with this change, this loss of her friend. And she said, she, rather quietly and rather thoughtfully, she was, said she was fine, but she said that before her friend died that, that she had had some ongoing stomach discomfort and sometimes it was stopping her from sleeping uh, at night. And I talked a little bit more about that to her. And as many of you know, uh, a nun or a monk in the Buddhist Theravada Buddhist tradition isn't allowed to eat any food between noon and dawn of the next day. So it's a rather long 18-hour period without uh, any uh, food. So I spoke with her a little bit, and then I asked her if she would had any interest to come to England, to come to the West. And she smiled and, and said, yes, she would be interested. So two or three days later, I said to her, I asked her, was she serious that she would be interested to come to the West? And uh, she said, very, very serious. So I said, I will try to arrange it. And I have written to Thai International, the airline, and asked them to provide a super cheap ticket. Whether they will, I don't know. And she, the intention is she's gone to get a passport, and I've given her a letter for the British Embassy, and we hope to bring her to England. And I said, because she only weighs 45 kilo, very, very, she's got very, very thin. I was very concerned for her. And she's the 47, she's the same age as myself. I said I would, she couldn't go back to Thailand unless she was fat. So she's agreed to this. <laughs> so I mention all of this because she's a very special person and somebody who I have immense uh, respect for and a real gem of the earth. And I interviewed her in uh, a book of interviews that I made called Freedom of the Spirit, and she truly personifies the freedom of the spirit. And I've never asked in 17 years of teaching for 
a little extra, but today I want to ask, and that is, if anyone would like to give a small contribution to bringing Meiji Patomwan to England for between one to two months towards the airfare, which I think will be about $900, it will be very gratefully received. But only those who can, can afford to give a little. If you can't, please don't. And uh, I have a photograph of her. I'll put it on the notice board. She is uh, a very special person. May our mother and father live in peace and harmony. May our brothers and sisters live in peace and harmony. May all of our friends and our relatives live in peace and harmony. May all those that we have contact with live in peace and harmony. May the actions of our heart and mind, speech and body contribute to peace and harmony. May we live in such a way that others matter as much as ourselves. That we are respectful to others, to the animals and creatures of the earth, to the water, the land and the air. And that our spirituality is the realization of the inseparable interconnectedness of all of this and the freedom which it offers. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings in all the realms, in all the universes, live in peace and harmony. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.